There we go. Good to see you all, and thank you for being here on uh, Saturday night. Uh, so we're in our second week of our brand new series on Romans 12 through 16. It's called The Fellowship of the Gospel. Uh, we've done three series. This is the fourth series and the final series in the book of Romans. We've interrupted it with other series uh, in between. And uh, we're going to actually spend another week on the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. So last week was part one. This is part two. And it addresses, those first two verses address how to live wisely, you know, how to live a life of wisdom. And we're going to look at three keys for that. Now, our daily life devotional is going to continue on with Romans uh, 12, 8, 3 through 8, and then next week we pick up in verse 9. So uh, that'll fill in some of the stuff that, that we're missing in the sermons. So because understanding the Bible doesn't have to be a mystery, and neither does your purpose in life, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have Bibles in the seat rack right in front of you. You can grab one of those. It's on page 1137, 1137, Romans chapter 12. So let's pray, um, as we always do, for God to illuminate his word, and this prayer is based on Ephesians chapter 1, so please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and for the way you reveal yourself to us through Scripture. Your promises and the truth of your word never change, and they never fail. As we look to your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would lead us to wisdom and understanding. May our knowledge of you transform our hearts and our minds so that we might live lives that are pleasing to you, bearing fruit, and giving you glory in everything that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I want to start uh, this week where I started last week, or where I ended last week. Uh, I shared two stories. I felt like I had to rush through them uh, because of time constraints, so I just want to go over them again, and uh, for those of you who heard them, it's okay to, to hear it again. So the first is about something that happened a few years ago when the Prime Minister of England, David Cameron, uh, had chided in a talk or a, a speech, he had chided the Anglican church in England for not yet ordaining women bishops. And one of the key points was that the church needed to, in his words, get with the program. Uh, and by that, that he, he meant that the church needed to catch up with the culture or with the spirit of the age. So N.T. Wright, who you hear me quote quite often, he's, uh, at one point he was a bishop in the Anglican church. Uh, still a minister within the Anglican Church, one of the most respected and influential Bible scholars, took on David Cameron. He agreed with his conclusion. He didn't agree with how he got there. And so he wrote an open letter to him in the Times of London, taking on this premise that we have to get with the program. And here's what he said. The spirit of the age is notoriously fickle, meaning it's, it's just flopping all over the place. You might as well, walking in, the, in a mist, take a compass bearing on a mountain goat. The church's foundation documents, to say nothing of the founder himself, speaking of Jesus, were notoriously on the wrong side of history. The gospel was foolishness to the Greeks, said St. Paul, and a scandal to the Jews. The early Christians got a reputation for believing in all sorts of ridiculous things, such as humility, chastity, and resurrection. Uh, standing up for the poor and giving slaves equal status with the free and for valuing women more highly than anyone else had ever done. People thought them crazy, but they stuck to their countercultural gospel. The church 
had allowed prime ministers to tell them what the program was, it would have sunk without trace in 50 years. If Jesus had allowed Caiaphas or Pontius Pilate to dictate their program to him, there wouldn't have been a church in the first place. All right, so there you have N.T. Wright basically saying the church made great gains in justice and human rights precisely because it didn't follow the program that the culture had. I then shared last week uh, about Rosa Parks' birthday, which was a week ago Friday, and what she did on that December day in 1955, which was retold on her birthday in all, those, in all the media outlets. And we're reminded that she and others were determined not to get with the program. And they were inspired by seeking to align themselves with the biblical program, the program of justice and righteousness and human rights laid out in the Bible, a program that seeks to treat all people as God's image bearers. So if our culture is fickle, how do we, how do we discern what God's program is? Which means, how do we align ourselves with God's purposes and with His plans and with His designs? That's what Romans 12, 1 through 2 is all about. So hopefully you have it open, but I'm going to show you. We're going to go back to something that we did last week. I'm not going to actually do it uh, uh, because we're still working on, te on the technology for this. But here's our passage. Therefore, brothers and sisters, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. So last week we looked a little bit at some key terms. We had this, um, uh, let me see, I, I said it was a conjunction last week. It's not. It's a conjunctive adjective, adverb, conjunctive adverb. All right. I checked it out on Sunday morning because I thought I was wrong, and I was. So this therefore looks back, first of all, to everything, talked about this last week, that came in Romans 1 through 11. And he says, because of God's mercy, talking about his grace, talking about the gospel, it's a short way of speaking of that, and, and, and that becomes evident if you read the chapters right before this, in view of God's mercy, this is what you should do. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed into the renewing of your mind. Not all passages of scripture fall out like this, but this is one that was worth looking at this way because it does kind of work out. And then, then another conjunctive adverb says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, which is a way of talking about wisdom. You're going to know how to align your life with God's perspective. So I talked last week that really you can go two ways in this sermon. You can go, in view of God's mercy, do these three things, and this is going to be the result. Or you can just start with the result, the outcome, which is wisdom, and say, how do we do that? Well, we do that by doing these three things, and that's the approach that we're taking uh, with that. Okay, so that's kind of review from last week. So we're going to look at the three keys. We're going to go over the first two very quickly because we looked at those last week. If you weren't here last week and you haven't watched the video, you can go back and get a little bit more information about those. Uh, but three keys to living wisely, three keys to aligning our life with God's purposes and His plans and His design. So here's the first key very quickly. Worship God by offering your entire self in your everyday life to God as a sacrifice. So if you look at verse 1 of that text, 
comes right from there. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So it's a way that we worship God by offering him everything that we are. And this is what... Sorry, I thought I was hearing voices, but maybe it's not. Okay. Something wrong with me? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> okay, so, um, so this is what basically he's saying, in view of God's mercy, this is, in light of what God has done, this is what you do. This is what you should do. Now, to say living sacrifice uh, doesn't mean, in Paul's what he's, Bible, what he's trying to communicate, doesn't mean to take something important in your life or something you really desire and just give it up to God or give it away, something like that. It's not what it's talking about. It means just as in the temple you would take a sacrifice, he's saying, bring your whole self. Bring your whole self to God uh, and, and live with your whole self for his purposes. Your life becomes about his purposes. All of your life in becoming about his purposes becomes a life of worship. Why is that? Well, it's because from the surface of our skin to the inner reaches of our minds and souls, we belong to God. So God cares about what we do with our bodies, and he cares about what we think with our minds, and he cares about what we feel in our hearts. He sees us as whole people, and he cares about all those things. And so we give it all over to him. That's what Paul is saying. Secondly, how do you live wisely? First of all, Offer your whole life. That's a wise way of living. That's how you align yourself with God's purposes. Secondly, do not conform to the pattern of this world. So that's where the next verse starts. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Verse 2. This is what N.T. Wright in that quote was talking about. The pattern of this world is exactly what Rosa Parks and the other civil rights leaders were resisting. When they did, they took the action that they took on that bus and on other buses as well. And then with the, with the boycott of the busing and all of that, they were, they were resisting the pattern of this world. And there's more to the pattern of this world uh, than what meets the eye. When the Apostle Paul talks about the pattern of this world, there's, there's like layers to what he means by that. Um, if Jesus is believed, is to be believed, and uh, most of us here believe uh, what Jesus says. He says there's an unseen world of evil that we're contending with all the time, and that that unseen world is actually shaping us, shaping people, but it's also shaping our cultures, the cultures that we live in. And so Jesus is repeatedly in his teaching referring to Satan and to, to, or to the devil as the prince of this world or the prince, ruler is what it's saying, of this age. Paul also calls this age, which is often translated world in our translations, he calls it this present evil age, and we need rescue from this present evil age. It doesn't mean, again, it doesn't mean that everything is evil. It just means that evil permeates everything. 
All right. Doesn't mean there isn't the, still that people still reflect the image of God, that God's creation. There's beautiful things and wonderful things that people who are very far from God can say and do beautiful things and live really in many ways beautiful lives. I'm not saying any of that. It's just saying that there's an evil that permeates everything. And Paul says our primary struggle, he says this in Ephesians, is against the powers of this dark world, this age, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So last week, we looked at a little chart from a book by John Mark Comer, which is called Live No Lies. It's in the resources section of your outlines, uh, the book, uh, if you are interested, because it's a really good book. Um, he talks about how the devil, if you, look, if you take Jesus seriously and the New Testament seriously, the devil is a deceiver, and you can see it in the Old Testament as well. The devil is a deceiver, and he plays to our disordered desires. Our desires became disordered when we rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden, and we continue doing the same thing. And then what happens is we, he plays into our disordered desires, we get deceived, and we begin to normalize things that shouldn't be normalized in our relationships. And it's, it's like everything that we do that is not uh, aligned with God's purposes are those things that I'm talking about, everything. And so they get normalized in a sinful society, but not just in a sinful society, it gets normalized in churches. There's subcultures within the church where we get deceived, where we may have a truth and then we get deceived and we either twist that truth or we add things to the truth that are not the truth. And it just becomes part of our culture. And we, after a while, like I said last week, you almost don't even need this. This was working. It's still here, it's still going, but this just works its way around. And different cultures develop those deceptions, get deceived in different ways, and every culture gets deceived. And so we believe lies about money, about celebrity, lies about sex, um, lies about what's important in life. All those kinds of things are some of the deceptions that we play into and we normalize and we find ways, even in the church, of okaying things that are not okay. And we do it all the time. Okay, so how do we live wisely? We offer ourselves to God as an act of worship. We... Uh, don't conform to the pattern of this world. We don't buy into the lies. We seek not to buy into the lies. Um, we learn to detect what those lies are that dishonor God, that take, take us down destructive paths, self-destructive as well as destructive to relationships. But thirdly, this is where we're going to spend most of our time today. The Apostle Paul says to live wisely, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds transformed by the renewing of minds, the second part of verse 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, it says be transformed, and that's really important. It's, it's deliberate that Paul says that. It doesn't say transform yourself by renewing your mind. Um, we are not the transformers. We are transformed by God. All right, God is the one who transforms us. But it doesn't happen, can I have the next slide? Yeah, but it doesn't happen automatically. We cooperate with God by committing to the means he's provided to change us. He provides all kinds of means to change us. And so we talk about this in our Story of God course uh, that most of you have taken. And it shows, we show how some of the means that God gives us for shaping us uh, and renewing our minds are uh, church community, uh, serving others, sharing our faith, learning to surrender our lives more and more to Christ, prayer, Bible study. All these are practices that form and shape us 
into what God is trying to do in us, which is to create, make better lovers out of us, that we love God with everything that we are, that we love our neighbor as ourselves, that we more and more reflect the image of Christ. The scripture says constantly, that's what God is transforming us to be, is to reflect the image of Christ. But I want to just focus on one of those practices today. Out of the ones I mentioned, there's many others as well. I want to just focus on one. I want to spend some time on talking about Bible intake, uh, time we spend in Scripture, together as well as on our own. Uh, and I want to begin with a story that John Collins uh, tells. John Collins is one of the founders of the Bible Project. Uh, if you've been around here for a while, you've seen many Bible Project podcasts. Um, if I could have the, the next slide. So, oh, it's kind of dark, isn't it? I didn't expect that. But this, this one is John. That's Tim Mackey. The, um, the theologian behind the Bible Project. And uh, so John is the, is the artist, and he's also the one that really takes these like, thoughts that Jim Mackey has and ideas, and he compacts them into a five-minute video. Uh, number one, Mackey will start with like an hour-and-a-half video, and he'll turn it into a five-minute video. And uh, he's also the one that, that constantly is pushing him. If you listen to the podcast, he's constantly, do, do you mean this? And when Tim Mackey says something that makes him nervous, like, are we going off the rails here? You know, and they, oh, okay, yeah, okay, I get, I get what you're asking. And so you can listen to the kind of the, the back and forth flow of things. So recently in their podcast, the Bible Project podcast, he was talked a couple of times about what he said for many years, he had a love-bored relationship with the Bible. I love hate, but love bored relationship with the Bible. And it was before he and Tim started working together. And he explains, he says, I grew up in the church. I heard all the Bible stories told and retold, and I just became bored with them. You know, you got to think about this as a parent, right? You know, it's like, at, at what point are you crossing a line from, from exposing and teaching to boring you know, boring someone with, with the stories. And he said, because of the way that he looked at the Bible and because of the way that it was taught, it was like you hear the story and you get a lesson. After a while, how many times do you have to keep hearing that lesson? That was his, kind of his takeaway from his years of growing up in the church. And so he grows up, he becomes an adult, he feels guilty every once in a while that he hasn't been reading his Bible the way that he should, so he takes up his Bible again and he starts reading it again. And, um, and same thing. Now he's trying to get an adult lesson. He, sometimes he gets the lesson. Sometimes he doesn't get the lesson. Sometimes he gets the lesson and he goes, that's really a weird lesson. I just, it just seems so weird, you know. And so, so um, uh, a, a lot of times he just couldn't figure out what the Bible was even talking about. And so he said he had this picture. And this, when I heard him say this, I'm, I'm like, this is, this is gold. Because how many times is this true in our minds? He says, this picture of God as he would take up his Bible and try to read, have his quiet time every day, his picture of God was of a frustrated professor who's just sitting there waiting for him to get the lesson and really disappointed with him when he doesn't get it right or when he questions the lesson and goes, I don't know, this just doesn't seem right. You know, that, that kind of a thing. So he had his breakthrough and I went ahead and put it in your outlines, put the slide up here. He had a breakthrough, kind of a breakthrough of sorts one day when he shifted his thinking from, I have to get the lesson from this passage, and God is going to be so frustrated with me if I don't figure this out, to, you know, I'm going to read, and God, who's not a frustrated teacher, but a wise and patient mentor, 
will shape and form me in ways that I don't even understand. I'm telling you, that is one of the most profound thoughts about reading Scripture. Now, you may not identify with the top part, but if you want to get the most out of Scripture, we need to identify with the bottom part. God is a wise mentor who over time, as we're exposed to his word, is shaping us. And sometimes we don't even understand the ways that he's doing that, shaping and forming our lives. So this provided a profound shift in his thinking. But it really was, he said, only the first step because there was still so much that he didn't understand. So one of the things that he was doing at that time, it was in his early 20s or maybe mid to late 20s, uh, he was uh, producing explainer videos on all kinds of subjects. And he was using his art and his talent for being able to take big ideas and make them understandable. Um, he was doing that, and he asked his friend, theologian Mike, uh, Tim Mackey, to help him, help him make some uh, Bible explainer videos. And that was the birth of the Bible Project Ministry, which as of this year, they estimate uh, over 200 million people around the world have interacted with the Bible Project content. It's an amazing, amazing thing. In just seven or eight years since they, they started. He used to be at a free church, uh, same denomination as us, in Madison. I remember when he was back there and, and doing little explainer videos without John, and it, was, it, was, it wasn't that great. Um, <laughs> but uh, he's quirky enough that I loved watching them, actually. So he, um, this is what John learned through his interactions with Tim Mackey. He says, the Bible is designed for meditation. It's designed to be read slowly. That when you read a passage, you read it repeatedly. And you read it carefully. And it's designed to be read over a lifetime. It doesn't easily or quickly divulge all of its meaning in one reading or even a few readings. And the primary reason for this is because almost everything is interconnected. Almost everything. When the, there's a m major concept, there is so much behind it. The stories, the books, the concepts, the words are interconnected. And if you don't know the stories that go before it in the Bible, a lot of times you won't understand the story that is, that is informing the one that you're reading. If you don't know some of the major terms in the Bible, you won't understand that there's more to that term a lot of times. Not always, but a lot of times there's more to that term than just what's on the surface. There's a whole history that's being linked, hyperlinked through, through the Scripture. Now, it's important to say, very important, that everything that we need to know for salvation and spiritual growth is available, can be understood. It's clear in Scripture. It doesn't take a lifetime to really get the basics there's a theological doctrine that's called the, say it in my head first, perpiscuity. Perpiscuity of Scripture, and it's very important. So, the doctrine of perpiscuity of Scripture um, is God's Word is clear about things that are necessary. You know, the, the interesting thing, I, I was looking for a good definition online, and this one person said, isn't it ironic that the word that means clear is the most unclear word you can possibly imagine. <laughs> so God's word is clear about things that are necessary to be understood and obeyed in order for a person to be saved and to live a Godward life. This is my own definition based on what I read, but the Bible's teaching on salvation and wisdom can be understood by children. You know, think of Deuteronomy 6, 7. Teach these things to your children. Talk about them when you get up and when you walk and all that kind of thing. So it, it can be understood by children and by what the Proverbs and Psalms called the simple 
you know, not the theologian, not the, the highly learned person, the person who's working from day to night, doesn't have time, you know, that, that, like I have to just study all this stuff. It, it is understood. That's what perspicuity of Scripture means. Um, and we want Scripture to be clear, and we want it to be simple. We want Scripture to be easy to understand, but the reality is that's not always the case for the reason I just gave you a little bit ago. Because everything is interconnected. And it doesn't give away its meaning just immediately, every, all of its meaning. Um, most of the time, Scripture is not easy to read. I mean, even Peter in our Bible says, Paul's letters are oftentimes very difficult to understand, all right? So I'm not saying something crazy here by saying this. Think about this. Let's say you're a mathematician, or let's say you're working on complex engineering solutions in your work, or you're a house builder, or you are raising a family, you're raising kids. You want and you need more than a simple understanding. You, you want a clear understanding, but you're going to want to always be growing, in your, right? As a parent, you want to be growing as you're, in your understanding. If you're an engineer, you want to be growing in your understanding. It's the same way with the Bible. And think about this. You don't want to live in a house engineered and built by people who have only a simple understanding of how to build a house that isn't going to fall in on itself, you know, within the first year or two. Um, same goes for if you go in for surgery. You don't want a surgeon who says, you know, I just wanted to keep it really simple so I didn't finish school. I, I just know how to cut people open and pull things out and sew it back up. You, you don't want to hear that, right? What makes the Bible deeply layered and more difficult to understand is that so many of the words and concepts in one passage are oftentimes in the minds of the author hyperlinked to stories that went and themes developed in the whole story. So it's truly impossible to unlock all the layers of meaning just with reading it once or twice, three times, or by even doing it by yourself. You can't even do it by yourself. You need help. You need historical help. You need, you need the translators, of course, but you need more than that. You need help in understanding a lot of the Scripture. It takes a lifetime of reading, the input of others also who have spent a lifetime reading the Scripture. Let's go back to the diagram just for a second. I noted some of this last time, but... When Paul says, your body says a living sacrifice, you notice that I stopped and said, this does not mean give up something that you like, because that's, what, that's how you might understand it, kind of in the way that we speak about things. But there are layers to that. There is no doubt that Paul, who grew up you know, as a Pharisee, who the, when he's writing this, the temple is still in Jerusalem. They are still burning sacrifices. They're still killing animals for sacrifices, all of that. That all of that and all the scripture that talks about that goes into the background of what that means. Uh, same thing with worship, proper worship. I mean, how much of the Old Testament? How much of the Old Testament is about proper worship? And I mean, to, to a degree that that it's all pointing to the kind of worship that we have, but to agree that we don't even follow him because we don't have to follow because Jesus says you don't have to. I've fulfilled all those things. But there's like really specific instructions. And he's saying now you want to pro worship properly, you don't go back to all those ceremonial laws in the Old Testament. What you do is you, you give your body, yourself, as a living sacrifice. Same thing with mind is another word that 
that you get a better understanding as you see the ways that Paul uses it in, in all of his letters. Now, we talked last week about the fact that what we oftentimes need is not a dictionary definition, which is just one line. Oh, living sacrifice, one line. No, what we need is an encyclopedic entry. All this stuff that went before it, layer upon layer upon layer. That's why it's not always simple. It's not always easy. It's simple and clear for what we need in order to grow, in order to respond to God. But here's the glory of it. You can spend a lifetime studying it, and it unfolds itself even more the more time you spend in it. Now, I gave this warning on Sunday. I didn't do this last Saturday night. This does not mean that you look at a word like mind and you find every time that that word occurs in the Bible, you write down all the definitions and then you pour all the definitions into one word. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about when the author, and you can tell by the way that the author is using the word, you know there's stuff built into that, into an understanding of that, that we shouldn't come to the word mind and think of how we think of the mind. We want to know how does an ancient person think of the mind? How does Paul think about the mind? What does he say about the mind? What maybe the Old Testament says about the mind? And all of that, and we, we look into that, that soup, that encyclopedic entry, entry, and we start going, oh, okay, that's helping me understand what someone like Paul in this context is talking about when he writes that. So what's the purpose of reading and rereading and study and meditation? It's a mind and life formed and shaped by the story of God, by His Word. That, that's the purpose. That's why we do it. So, in um, one of the recent episodes of the Bible Project podcast, not the videos, but the podcast itself, Tim and John talk about three approaches to the Bible that shortchange this process of immersion and shaping and forming And all three kind of treat the Bible as if it were a reference book rather than treating it for what it actually is. As you read it, you can see it actually is filled with poetry, it's filled with stories, it's filled with laws, um, histories, all kinds of things like that. So three ways that, that are really deficient ways of reading the Bible if this becomes the way that we read the Bible. All three are good in many ways, but if they become the primary way we look at the Bible as if it were a reference book, I gotta get my answer okay, it actually, we get less out of the Bible. We're still going to get something out of the Bible. We're going to get much less. So one of the ways that they talked about in the podcast was when we treat the Bible as a moral handbook. Um, So in this approach, we're always looking to the Bible for rules. Or if someone is struggling with a decision about something, we go and find a verse and say, here's the rule, you know, and we give give them the rule. Or somebody's... uh, that we're close to, have a good relationship with, are uh, not living in God's way, we think we've got to tell them the rule as if they, by the way, as if they didn't know. (laughs) They usually know what the rule is, all right? All right, so we're always looking for rules. And the Bible does have rules. And the Bible does have boundaries that are set. And it does have very specific moral instruction for our lives. It has all of that. But oftentimes we take this approach Partially because I think we want to, um, they don't talk about this in the podcast, but I got, I got thinking about it. It's like, we want to stay in control. When you treat the Bible like a moral handbook, you're actually in control. And here's, here's how it works. Jesus had this discussion constantly, not discussion, argument with the Pharisees all the time. The Pharisees knew all the rules. 
They took rules and they added rules on top of the rules. And then the rules on top of the rules that were to keep you, like if the rule says don't cross there, you'll fall off the edge. They had rule, 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 rule to keep you so far from the edge that you couldn't fall over, okay? But what happened is all the rules between here and there became like God's rules, <laughs> all right? And so Jesus is constantly knocking out all those rules and he then calls them out because what they're doing with all their rules is they're staying in control. And so they have rules on top of the rules that actually become workarounds to the rules themselves. You might remember the story where Jesus is talking about the Pharisees. Not, he's actually just he's giving them all the things that they do wrong, one right after the other after another. He says, one of the things that you do is you take scriptural commands, very clear that you are supposed to care for your family, and he's thinking primarily about like your elders, your elderly family. And he says, ah, I'm not going to care for my family. I am instead going to give what I would have given to them. I'm going to give it to the temple. And I'm going to call it, I can't remember what it's, Corbin or something like that. And, um, and so he says, you're just, you're doing a workaround you know, your rules are just, just a workaround. So a lot of times that's how we, 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 we do that. Now, when we look at the Bible as a moral handbook, one of the things that happens is not only do we stay in control, we just miss so much. We miss that so much moral instruction comes through all the stories of people who mess up. I mean, every single Bible hero, except Jesus, messes up in major, major ways. It's part of the story. It's part of the moral instruction. We miss that. Um, we miss oftentimes the heart of the story because we're looking for rules and we forget about the heart. And by the way, you can't pass on a faith of rules. I mean, you can with a few kids. A lot, few kids might be just like you, you know, very rule-oriented. But a lot of times, most people, the next generation, they're like, give me a why. Help me understand why this, this is. And um, you miss most of the moral instruction that's contained in, in poetry and stories and so many other ways. Okay, so... I'm not saying the Bible is not, doesn't give us moral instruction and there are no rules. That's not what I'm saying, right? You understand what I'm saying. Don't treat the Bible as, it was, as if it was a moral handbook and you just look for the rules, you know, every time you're wondering about something. Don't treat it like a theological dictionary. Again, the Bible places great importance on what we believe. We did a series a year and a half ago on systematic theology. We used that kids book you might remember for those of you who were here. It's a fantastic one. It's my favorite series that we ever did. So it, the Bible talks about that and it is, um, so the Bible is concerned about what we believe. Jesus was concerned about what we believe, but he was equally concerned about how we live. It's another way of staying in control. People who are very, just love theology, and I'm one of them, very easy to get caught up in the theology stuff and miss all the stuff about what we're supposed to be doing for the poor and, you know, um, what it means to live as a living sacrifice and how am I supposed to share my faith? No, 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 no. Let's focus on the theology thinking if we get the theology right, everything is going to be okay. Not true. So all kinds of people who get the Pharisees got a lot of theology right and they weren't doing the right thing. So, um, again, it becomes just a convenient way of ignoring so much that's in the Bible when all we're looking at is treating the Bible as what are we supposed to believe? What are we supposed to believe? And if you believe, it's not true. If you believe that if I change my thinking, my actions will follow, it's not true. It's not true in any of your lives. You have some great ideas 
and you know what you're supposed to eat, and you know you're supposed to exercise, and you know you're supposed to not yell at your kids, you know all that, you know that, and you still don't do it. Why? <laughs> because it's not all here. It's, we're whole people. It, it, it's more than just our thinking. It's our practices as well. And then finally, the devotional grab bag. That's another deficient way of doing it. So this is where you read the Bible for a tidbit or a morsel for the day. I need something for the day. Instead of having your mind renewed for a lifetime, where you're reading the scripture to have your mind renewed over a lifetime. And what's most dangerous about the devotional grab back, that's where you just, now I'm not saying you can't read the Bible devotionally. You should read the Bible devotionally and you can read a verse and you can read a devotional that plays on a verse. I'm not saying you can't do that or you shouldn't do that. You should do that. That's good. But the problem is, is, this is if this is your primary Bible intake over time, it quickly becomes all about me and my growth, and my emotions. I need my bit, my morsel for my day. People treat sermons this way. Some people preach this way. It's like, I needed this. I go to church because I need an idea that's going to encourage me for the week. I'm like, I'm not interested in encouraging you for a week. Um, we're, we're not interested in that at Five Oaks. We're interested in forming and shaping, the word forming and shaping us so that we're more and more aligned with God's purposes and his plans and his designs. Again, what's the purpose of reading and rereading and study and meditation and all of that? It is a mind and life formed and shaped by the story of God. Now, I want to give you a few um, a few ideas, this is not in your outline, so if you're taking notes, um, you can put this somewhere there. Um, a few ideas for reading the Bible in this way. But before I do that, I do want to encourage you to go through our Story of God course if you haven't gone through it. Six weeks, you get the whole story, you start understanding. So you get the whole story, you really can't understand the pieces in the story. And so people who've spent their whole life in church oftentimes say to us, yeah, I knew all the stories, and I knew the characters and all that kind of thing in the Bible, but I didn't know how it all fit together. And that's what we do. And then other people don't know the stories and don't know uh, the characters and all that sort of thing. And you can't understand anything in the Bible unless you know who the characters are and kind of how the story uh, forms and how it all points to Jesus. It's really one story that is pointing to Jesus and to the mission that he had for the world that becomes our mission. So... That's one thing. Another thing that I recommend is that, you know, get involved in a small group. If you're not in a small group, uh, you put, write small group on your connect card. By the way, if you want to get in the Story of God course, write SOG or Story of God, and we'll send you the information that you need. Same thing with small group. Somebody will walk you through and find out what night works for you, what kind of group are you looking for, all that sort of thing. But what we do is we study the scripture together in a place like that. We need each other to really understand the scripture. And then we need to read our Bible daily. Um, and reflect on it and meditate on it. Uh, and when we do it, not just reading it as a moral handbook, a theological dictionary, or a devotional grab bag. So what are some ways of doing that? First way is when you're reading a passage, read it slowly and repeatedly. Read it slowly and repeatedly. In the Old Testament, when it talks about reading meditatively, it actually refers to muttering. Muttering. 
It's like we, you know, and you see this in Orthodox Jews even today where they're just muttering the scripture under their, their voice um, as they're reading for you know, long periods of time, just reading and rereading uh, the scripture. Uh, it's helpful to, which you're, when I say go slowly, you need to slow down. You need things that help you to slow down. One of the ways that you can slow down is by reading in more than one translation. That can help you a lot of times. Um, it can be, you can slow down by memorizing Scripture. You can slow down by writing out the passage. You can slow down by diagramming the passage, kind of like I did a little bit earlier. Or, in your Bible, mark it, marking it up. And so, one of our members just died a few, you know, at age 82, 83, a few weeks ago. She's had five Bibles in her adult life. She has five kids that she had biologically, five kids. As she would kind of come to the end of kind of a Bible that, that she was like, I'm ready to move on to another Bible. She'd, she'd spent hours in them and in sermons just marking it up, just marking up the Bible, marking up various things, just circling things and showing relationships and things. She would dedicate that to, like, first her oldest and then the next oldest. And when she died, they sent me a picture of the five Bibles who are now being passed on to the five kids. You know, it's that kind of way of slowing down in reading Scripture is what we're talking about. From time to time, number two, from time to time, read whole books or whole sections of the Bible. Like the Sermon on the Mount would be a section. Uh, whole books, like the Gospel, or all four Gospels, you know. A, just a, like a whole section of, of the Bible. Um, there are some great Bible project reading programs for doing this. And if you're not familiar with YouVersion, one word, YouVersion, I uh, highly recommend that you download that app to whatever you use, um, computer, phone, uh, pad, um, YouVersion. And it's got a whole section with all kinds of reading plans and it has Bible project reading panels, so it has an interaction of reading stuff as well as uh, videos that help you understand it better. Uh, so I want to show you uh, here real quickly uh, kind of how it works. So if you go to plans, so you see down there at the bottom, and you click on plans, and then you do a search, and you just put in the word Bible project, and here's all the plans, the Bible project. But here's one, for example, uh, let's see. Bible Project, Gospels, 90 days. Uh, the Torah, and I don't know how many days. Luke and Acts, 52 days. When you pick one, you say, okay, I want to do this by myself. I want it to be private. And you go ahead and click on it. This one's for Paul's letters. And each day, you have a, like, not every day, but on day one, you had a video. On day two, you have a reading. Actually, maybe those were both the same day. And each day it kind of develops in that kind of way. And you'll be learning the Bible uh, that way. If you're new to the Bible, I do recommend uh, as good as you version is to have an open Bible that you're reading from while you're doing this because you get a sense of where you are in the whole story that way and in the Bible that way. And you can mark it up. It's very difficult to do in you version. There's ways to do it, but it's, it's, it's not that easy to do. And then from time to time, read the whole Bible. Uh, this is a lot more doable if you've got a group of people, not all together, you're reading together, but you've got a group of people and you're all reading through the Bible and you have to report on it, you know, that kind of thing. So there's a little bit of accountability on that uh, and you're sharing what you're learning along the way. And when I say the whole Bible, I put quotation marks, you don't have to read the whole Bible every time you read the whole Bible. 
uh, you can, you can, there are all kinds of plans that get you the gist of the entire story. You can spend a year getting the main things from the entire story without reading 14 chapters of laws about how to do a, you know, how to approach the tabernacle and stuff like that. Now, there's a time when you should read that, but um, you don't always have to read all those kinds of things every single time you read through the whole Bible. You just need, the idea is to not read the whole Bible, even every verse in Leviticus, so you can check it off and say, I read everything. The idea is to get a sense of the whole, become more and more familiar with with the whole, so that you begin in your own mind seeing the hyperlinks. Oh yeah, that sounds a lot like, because you've been doing that um, uh, for, you know, in your lifetime, you've been doing that. Also, when a pastor or a teacher refers to things, you're like, yeah, I, I read that at one time. So you're not like hearing it for the first time. Um, there are also some great podcasts out there, one that a lot of people, I've not done it, but a lot of people just really speak highly of, is called Bible Recap. And so you can take Bible Recap, um, you can download it, the, the app, and, uh, and then you can read the passage for the day, and then you can listen to the daily podcast that they do with the Bible. Great way to just immerse yourself in the Bible. And as you do this, you're transformed by the renewal of your mind. God is transforming you by the renewal of your mind. It's not the only thing that transforms us, but it's kind of, at least according to a lot of studies, it's like the first among equals. It's like this is, this, you get the most, the most impact on your life um, when you read the scripture. And the Bible begins to come alive. It's not boring anymore. <laughs> there are layers and you're looking for those layers and you're understanding those layers more and more. All right, we're going to begin our response time right now as we do every week with, uh, by celebrating communion together. And, uh, you know, it doesn't take a PhD in theology to understand Jesus' message uh, at the Last Supper. But there are layers. There are layers. He's eating a... Passover meal, you know, Passover runs through the whole scripture. There is a first Passover and there are other Passovers and you understand that, but it doesn't take a PhD in theology or even a lifetime of reading to understand what Jesus said when he said, tonight, he said, I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to go to the cross and my body is going to be broken instead of yours for your sin. And so we eat remembering that Jesus, his body was broken for us. You don't need a PhD in theology to understand. There's layers, but you can understand when he says, my blood was shed instead of your blood for your sins. Let's drink together. We're going to uh, do the prayers of the people together here in just a moment. And um, as part of that also, uh, during the singing or after the prayers of the people, we have stations where you can pray during our worship. We're going to sing, but we have a light stations up here. Uh, these are not about lighting a candle. These are about praying for people in your life uh, that you know are just far from God, and they need the light of Christ. So as you light that candle, you're praying for the light of Christ in someone's life. We've got a kneeling bench down there. You don't have to use any of these. 
but join us as we continue singing together. Let me pray, and then Annabelle Stanfest is going to come out here and lead us in the prayers of the people. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are um, a God who communicates with us and a God that transforms us. And Father, I pray that we would, uh, we would listen to you when you call us to read your word and to read it carefully and to meditate on it and to learn from it. Uh, give, us, give us a vision for how our life will change and that that vision would, would spur us on to spending more and more time in your word and in your word together learning from each other. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.